We're in the book of Philemon today. One study I was going to do between, you know, we finished the Crave series uh, last week, and then uh, next week Michael Turner is going to be speaking actually the next two weeks. I encourage you guys to, to be here for that. He's a great teacher and a great guy, and it would be an encouragement to him as well. See you guys here. Um, and then I'm believing we're going to start the book of Matthew uh, when I get back. Um, that's how it's looking right now. Um, so, open to the book of Philemon. Now, this is a small little book. And have you ever seen, uh, maybe you've gone into one of those stores where they have memorabilia. They have, you know, autographed posters signed by, you know, the people who are in them, whether it's, you know, some famous musician or actor, actress, and it's signed with that, them. And they, they charge so much more, you know, because now it's got their signature on that. I remember there was um, one time I actually saw there was a, a letter that was written by Abraham Lincoln to this woman who um, had them over for dinner, you know, and so he was saying thank you, and it was an actual letter by Abraham Lincoln, you know, to this lady who had them for dinner, and it was worth just thousands of dollars because it was President Lincoln. You know, or I don't know if you guys ever see that Pawn Stars, you know, that TV show. Uh, there is one recently where this guy brought in this book and it had John Hancock's signature in it. And they verified that it was real, it was really his signature, and so it went from being, you know, worth like $30 to being worth $3,000 just because it was really written by this guy and it was actually connected to this person. It was something that was personal to this individual. And what we have in the book of Philemon is kind of a personal note written to somebody that we get to look at. I don't think that Paul ever intended this book to be a part of all of Scripture. I don't know if he intended any of the things he written to be a part of Scripture like we know it today. He meant for them to be shared among the churches, most of them, but this one is a little bit more personal because this one is to someone specific. It's towards this man named Philemon. We don't know a whole lot about Philemon. We know that he oversaw a church that was most likely in Colossae. We have some information on that based on the person who this is about. We see his name mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. We know the book was written about 62 AD or so. Um, at this time, it says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend, and fellow worker. We know that Paul was in prison. Now, this was his first imprisonment. If you remember, as we went through the book of Acts, when Paul was in prison for the first time, it was more of a house arrest. It wasn't like he was in a dungeon. He was more or less renting a place and had a guard assigned to him all the time. So he couldn't leave. He was kind of on parole, but he had the parole officer with him continually. And so he always had a Roman guard with him, but he was able to go out and in as freely as he wanted. And this is when this is taking place. So he's not in a dungeon. He has the freedom, but he is a prisoner. He's not free to just leave. He has to stay in this area, and he has a, a guard there with him. And, and so this is the condition that he identifies himself here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, 
this is unique because in most of his epistles, he doesn't address himself as this. What, are, what does he address himself as in many of the other epistles? A bondservant or an apostle. Uh, but basically a servant. Now he's a prisoner. And he's doing this on purpose. He, he's trying to set about a standard of how he is giving of himself in the position that he is in. And he has purposefully changed his introduction. Again, we're dealing a little bit more personal here. I'm talking to my friend Philemon. I'm writing him a postcard. I mean, it's only 25 verses. I'm sending it to my buddy Philemon. And I address it as, hey, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm with my brother Timothy. Timothy is well known. He's my companion. He's my compadre. He, he's the one who's been with me. And I, I'm writing this to my friend Philemon. Philemon's name means friendly. So Philemon, friendly, our dear friend, uh, a fellow worker. You're someone who has been a part of this work of Jesus Christ with me. Verse 2, he goes on and he says, to Apaphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. These two people that are mentioned here are possibly Philemon's wife and son. We don't know for sure. They're someone that are close to Philemon, it appears. And then he says, to the church that meets in your home. And so we now know that Philemon, if he was not the pastor of the church, the church met at least in his house. And so, you know, maybe he had a good-sized home. We're going to see that he was a person of means because he had a slave that the subject of this is going to be about. And so he's probably a person that is a little bit well-to-do. And I think it's neat because, again, we're coming into this place to the church that meets at your house. I'm writing this. I want you to have this. And you can share this with the people who are there in that community that you belong to. And what I love about this is, once again, we see that there is this closeness that appears in these people's lives. There's this familial relationship that they have. There is this idea of we meet at your house. It's been so much a desire for so many pastors I know to try and break down the, the structure of church that hinders us from being close to one another that makes this more of a, a social gathering than what we really are supposed to be, which is members of the same body, a part of the same family, people who are knit together by something very unique and something very special, by what Jesus has done for me, for you, for us. That is a bond that knits us together. And it's... So much a desire to, to have that understanding, to be a part of our lives. But as we, you know, grow and as we develop, it becomes more difficult as more people are here. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I can't be family to 50 people, you know. Well, yeah, you can, but, you know, you won't be as close to all of them as you will to maybe a few. But trying to, to get this idea of us being a family is, is something that's really important. One of the things that I, I'm praying about for Wednesday nights, and one of the reasons I kind of set the tables up here like this, is I, I'm praying about on Wednesday nights, starting at 6 o'clock, 
And you're going, what? That's too early. Wait, wait for it. Uh, waiting, starting at 6 o'clock, and just if you want to bring your dinner here, come and have dinner here. That everyone can kind of, it's kind of like a potluck, but you don't have to provide for everyone. Just enough food for yourself. Usually you eat more than you should anyway, so there's probably enough for someone else if necessary. But us just hanging out from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, eating, it's kind of what we've done with the young adults. We sit down, we have pizza, we talk, and then maybe we get into a little bit of a study. But first we kind of just have this time of talking to each other, of getting to know each other, of having fellowship. And so my thought was at 6 o'clock, if you guys want to bring your food, come on down here. We can eat together. We can talk. We can find out how our days are going and just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze, take it in and, and get to know each other. It's under no obligation. You don't have to feel, oh, no, we got to go. We have to go provide food. Oh, we got to do. No, you know, I love being able to go home and sit in my couch. I love that couch, and I love the corner. I, I love the one corner because I can put, you know, my coffee right here, and, and I can put a pillow on my lap, and it, my laptop plugs right in, and I can watch TV and be on my computer. And my wife says, how can you do that every time? But I just love my home. And because of our children, our home has become a commonplace throughout the years to lots of people. So it's not uncommon for one of Lauren's friends to, to come over. Oh, they're coming over tonight? Oh, thanks for letting us know. You know, we, we never did get a warning. We always had friends coming over. It was like, oh, so-and-so's here. And so now we've got, you know, our children's friends, and we're all there. And it's just kind of like our home has become a place where they can come and, and hang out. And, you know, some of the friends we're closer to than others. You know, some you have a real close relationship, and when they come, oh, that's no problem. But some, it's like, I don't really know them. You know, why are they coming over? You know, I don't, I'm in my sweats. I don't want them over. You know, this friend can come over. But this understanding of just how close you are with people changes how you feel when they're there. And I would like to change how we feel together so that we are comfortable with each other so that we're able to know each other and talk to each other and have a freedom to just get to know each other. Don't come in your pajamas, but you can, you know, come and, and bring your food and hang out. And this is something I'm praying about. I, I talked to Corrine about it today, and she thought it was okay, so that's usually a good sign when my wife says, yeah. Um, the whole idea is there's this family. They met in his home, you know, we were meeting in our home, and that was fine, but it was getting a little hectic when we were meeting there three times a week. Sometimes it was becoming difficult for us um, with a lot of things going on, especially with Corrine having to work the jobs that she is. And then, you know, me, I'm thinking the house looks fine, you know, but when Corrine comes home, it, it, I find out, no, those towels can't stay there, you know. The, things like that because she's very clean, and i, I got to be careful. Um, she just likes to have the house presented well, you know. And so there's that comfortable atmosphere of home that we want to keep, and that's why we've got a couch now um, and a rug, and we're going to have more things like that. So hopefully we'll continue to have that comfortable atmosphere where we can enjoy each other's company. And the church met in homes. The church was a family. 
there was a closeness that they experienced and shared with each other that was unique, that was special. That they became literally brothers and sisters. And they considered themselves that. Do we still consider ourselves that? Or have we become an organization and we are members of an organization instead of a part of a family? And that's something that God is always pushing us to. It's challenging because to get close to people is a difficult thing, especially some people are difficult people. Some people have needs and they require a lot of attention from us and that pushes us, but does it push us in a good way? Does it push us to be more giving? Does it push us to be more selfless? Does it push us to be more caring? And those are things that we need pushing towards because our tendency will be as we get older to become hermits and we'll live in our little caves and we'll never come out except for on special occasions. And you guys probably know people like that. They don't like to socialize. They don't like people around them. And so they just stay confined and the world becomes more and more distant. And that shouldn't be the case with us. And so here's the church that meets in his home. This man is someone who is close to Paul, a fellow worker in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4 he says, I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. When you think about why you pray for someone, what is usually the case? Is it usually because it's something good? I mean, I don't think I, you know, most of our prayer requests that come over the email are for situations that are problematic. Pray for so-and-so, they're going to the doctor, they have cancer. Uh, pray for so-and-so, they fell down, they broke their hip. Pray for so-and-so, you know, this happened to them or someone in their family. And it's always regarding something. Whenever I see this person, pray for them because they're in this struggle. But here Paul says, I pray for you because I always hear about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. What a cool thing to pray for. And what if we started thinking this way, you know, when you see someone being used by God, I pray for so-and-so because they're being used by God. I want to pray for my friend Bill because, man, God is using him in this area. God, I thank you for him. I lift him up to you and pray you would strengthen him and continue to use him. Continue to bless him because really the ones who are in that position being used are the ones that really need prayer. Because they're the ones who are doing good. And if they stop doing good, man, then it's a bad thing. My voice went high there. As I... <laughs> bad thing. Uh, don't know who that was there. And so his prayer is for those who, for Philemon, because his faith in the Lord and his love for all the saints. And he remembers him always in his prayers because he is doing this. And he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That one really struck me because I don't think I pray that for us. That you guys would be active in sharing your faith. And what a beautiful prayer that is. That's something that we all need, isn't it? 
that we'd be active in sharing our faith. So he prays that they would be active in sharing their faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Wow. Now that's a powerful just statement and, and reason for his praying. I'm praying for you because I want you to be active in your faith and that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Can our minds grasp every good thing that we have in Christ? Do we recognize how much there is? And what would happen if our lives were focused on every good thing we have in Christ and not on every bad thing that is happening around us? How would it change our lives if we were consumed with every good thing that we have in Christ and not every problem and difficulty that we're facing? How would that free us up to be more active in sharing our faith. You see, it's easy to share your faith when you are overwhelmed with the goodness that God is doing in your life and blessing you with and, and recognizing how awesome he is and merciful he is, gracious he is, powerful he is. You recognize all the good things you have in Christ. It just overflows and spills on those around us. But when our lives are focused on us and how much we have to do for our families and at work and for the people around us who are, you know, just wearing us out and are constantly requiring attention and for the bills and for the jobs and for the illnesses and we see those things and we don't recognize all the good things that we have in Christ then our lives are going to not overflow with the good things they're going to become stagnant they're going to become hardened they're going to become difficult and I know what it's like to be in both these places. And I don't want to ever be insensitive to those who are going through hard times. When a person weeps, we're to weep with them. But I also know that my focus when I, I am approached for counseling, when someone says, hey, I want to talk to you about counseling, I'm going through this, my job isn't to help them see the problem. My job is to help them see the God who is bigger than the problem. My desire is for them to see that God has not abandoned them, but that God is all around them. And this situation has God's fingerprints all over it. And don't think that this is something uncommon that's happening to you, but these things happen because God is using it to produce something in your life. Can you see the goodness of God in this situation? And that's what Paul is basically saying here, that you would recognize just the full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. If our minds would go to this place and recognize this, no matter where we are, it can change our perspective. And if we change the way we think, we can change our world. It's funny, the people who go through circumstances of very great difficulty and rise above it and overcome and succeed in spite of the obstacles. And then there's the others, the same situation who just collapse under the pressure. They give up hope and they don't move forward. 
Same problem, same situation. What's the difference? It's how they see it. And the way you see your life and the perspective, if you could get the understanding of all the good things you have in Christ, it could change your world. I'm telling you, it can. In the midst of the problems, I have these things in Christ. And it changes everything. It changes everything. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. What a testimony of this guy. Man, this sounds like a, a great guy. And Paul has just, you know, built him up on all these things. And now we find out in verse 8 why he's built him up. Therefore, now he's getting to, therefore, although in Christ... I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, he's probably in his 60s right about now, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, we're going to see, was once Philemon's slave, but he ran away. He bailed on him. He was his property, and he left. He probably paid good money for him or whatever it was. There was this responsibility that Onesimus had to Philemon. And Onesimus hightailed it out of there. And now you wonder, how did Paul meet Onesimus? What was the occasion? Because we see that now Onesimus has become Paul's son in the faith. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. So at some point in Paul's journey in this imprisonment that he was in when he was out on one of his strolls talking to someone, he started sharing with this young man and he shared with him and he led him to Christ and he found out a little bit, and yeah, my name's Onesimus. Well, where do you come from, Onesimus? Well, I used to be a slave. I belonged to Philemon. Philemon? And Colossae? Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. I know Philemon. He's my brother. Oh, no. I ran away from your brother. What do I do now? And you see, it would have been so easy. There, there are so many things that are taking place here. You see, Onesimus could have said, well, I've become a Christian. All things are new. I'm free now. I, I no longer have to, to go to Philemon because I'm a, I'm a Christian now. I have no obligations back to thou, but just because Onesimus became a Christian, he still had to fulfill his obligation. A new life does not release you from your responsibilities. And Paul says, Onesimus, you got to go back. And what did that conversation look like? I can't go back. I'm a Christian. I'm free now. I don't want to go back to slavery. But Onesimus, Philemon, he's a brother. There are movies that could be made on this little book here, I'm telling you. But good ones. Not, you know, 
Not like some of the other ones that are made. Won't mention any by name, but they usually have to do with the book of Revelation, uh, not the book of Philemon. And so there's a number of things that are happening here. Paul, first of all, doesn't demand. Here is an apostle who, if anyone had a, a right to demand, it would be Paul, but he doesn't. He appeals to him. He appeals to him on the basis of love. And you see, that is so much a part of what we are supposed to be about. We never see this demanding attitude coming from Paul. I demand you to do this. I am the great apostle Paul. I am the head of these churches. I've started this, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't act in this way. He doesn't have this authoritative manner about him. And what's great about this book also is we see this heart for Paul, both for Philemon and for Onesimus. I mean, as we're going through Corinthians right now, you don't really get to see the tender side of Paul. You kind of see that letting you have it side. But here we see Paul that's really just entreating him, and I appeal to you on the basis of love. I could demand, but I, I won't demand. Instead, I appeal for you for love. I, it's, it's, what is, what is, it's what is strongest. Love is what is going to appeal stronger than any demand. And, and you guys know this, who, who have the relationships that you have, whether it's with your husband, wife, your children, your friends, family. If you make someone do it, is it as nice as when they want to do it? No, it's always nice when the kids want to do something nice for you, not when they have to. You know, it, it's great when the, the boys come home every now and then and they'll, the other time Samuel was out, he went out in the backyard and started cleaning up the dog poop on his own. <laughs> It's like he never used to do that. It was, I had to tell them. And he just went out and started doing it. And it's like, wow, that's nice. I appeal to you. <laughs> and it's actually something that is better than this idea of ordering someone. And then Onesimus, who's become my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become both useful you and me. And it's, it's kind of a play on words. He's actually cracking a joke here because the name Onesimus means profitable. And he's saying he was useless, but now he's Onesimus. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was probably funnier back then um, in the term, but he's saying, you know, he was useless, but really he's Onesimus. He's profitable. He's profitable to you and to me. He goes on, he says, I'm sending him to you who is my very heart back to you. Listen to this. He's useful to me. I'm sending my very heart back to you in this person. You just feel, again, the endearment that Paul is presenting here. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. In other words, it would have been great. I... I he knows how to serve. He's a good help to me. I mean, he served you well. Now he's serving me. I would have loved to have kept him here. But 
He needs to go back. I'm sending him back to you as if I'm sending my own heart to you. Here is someone who's been very useful to me, but now he's going to back and he'll be useful to you. I want you to have this, but I did not want, verse 14, to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. And now Paul's saying maybe the reason he came back was so that he could come to this faith in Christ and now he'll be your brother forever. And what I love now is because Paul is going into this theological area where he says perhaps the whole reason he left you was so that he could find Christ. He doesn't say, I know this is why. He just says, maybe that's why. You guys ever been in those situations where something good happens out of this event that was kind of started off not so good? You say, well, maybe the Lord did that so that this would happen. Perhaps. You don't know for sure. You just kind of have to say, perhaps. Maybe that's why. And Paul seems to think that's good enough. Maybe that's why. And you know what? I'm good with that. Maybe why? If anyone would have this understanding and insight to God to be able to distinguish what is right and what is wrong, it seems like it would be Paul. And Paul doesn't say, I know now that the reason he left you was so that this would happen and so that this would happen. He just says, perhaps. And I think that's pretty cool because he doesn't assume to know too much but he seems to be able to trust God with the perhaps. And perhaps this is happening in your life for this reason. Perhaps Onesimus left so that he could now return to you in this new state as your brother. And he would be with you now forever. And we see that Paul is going to this place that he is bringing restoration between these two where there had been obvious friction. Friction for Onesimus to leave. Friction for Philemon to have ought against him for leaving. And now they're bringing, being brought back together. And he's being brought in a different manner. He says in verse 16, no longer, he's being brought back to you no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Have you ever wondered about some of the issues in Scripture, like slavery? And, you know, Paul doesn't condemn slavery in Scripture. We have Romans where he talks about slaves being subject to their masters. We see Jesus and he doesn't go out to abolish slavery. And, I mean, you ever wonder why slavery is not a good thing? Why wouldn't he abolish slavery? Why wouldn't Paul try and form some kind of coalition to develop some means of presenting this why wouldn't this be a, a, a key issue? 
But we see that what Paul does do is goes to the heart of what really is taking place. See, if you change the heart of people, you will change their relationship to other people. And so Onesimus is being sent back, but not just as a slave. I want you to understand that he is now your brother. What does that do to this relationship that had whatever it was tension-wise? What does that do when you find out now this person is no longer your slave but also your brother? It changes everything. And you see, what, what God has done is hasn't ignored the problem of slavery, but he has dealt with the heart of the problem, and that is our hearts, the human heart, that says, I can have authority over you as property. And Paul says, he is not your property, he is your brother. Think about him in that way from now on. And that changes everything. That changes now how I have to treat you because you're family. That changes how I have to see you. You're no longer property. You are my brother. In fact, what if one of the slaves is actually one of the pastors? Now what do you do? You go to church and your pastor is so-and-so's slave or your slave. Boy, talk about bring a headache. How does that change things? Because now I have a spiritual place that you have to respect, but I have a physical position that serves you. And you see, God takes this whole structure and makes it about the relationship. That we are to treat each other with respect that we are to treat each other as brothers, that we are, have, we are to have this kind of relationship with each other that changes how we see each other and, of course, how we deal with one another. He is not only, he's not a slave, he's better than a slave, he's your brother. He is very dear to me, but dearer to you as a man and as a brother in the Lord. From now on, I want you to see this man, Anisimus, as your brother in the Lord. Verse 17 says, So if you consider me a partner... Welcome him as you would me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you any, anything, charge it to me. I love that. Paul says, I'll take care of it. If he's done you wrong, I'll take care of it. <laughs> then he quickly goes on and goes, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, you owe me your very self. He just throws that in. How much do you owe me? Because now we're going to find out that Paul is actually the one who brought Philemon to Christ. And so Paul, who's brought this person into this eternal understanding of who Jesus is, has brought them into eternal life, has also brought Onesimus into eternal life. And so now there's this whole other dimension that's taking place. You see, we live our lives in this temporal 
place, don't we, where we position ourselves and we try and get to management and we try and get to upper management and we want to get to the place where we have control, where we have authority, where we get the big bucks, where we tell people what to do instead of them telling what to do, us what to do, and then we find out that there's something else that's going on that is eternal. And all this other managing and trying to position ourselves has no bearing on this eternal plateau where you are brothers and that's how it is. We are all serving the one Christ and it changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes how we live. And so now Paul is saying, you owe me your very life. If he owes you anything, I'll take care of it. But don't forget what you owe me wasn't for me, where would you be, Philemon? And you think back, where would you be if you didn't have Christ right now? Where would you be? Oh God, where would I be? And the darkness of that thought can just bring me to tears when I think of how lost I was and how lost I would continue to have been if I did not come to the knowledge of Christ. And to find that someone would say, I, I brought this to you. How much do you owe that person? Oh, gosh. I, I can't thank them enough. And so, Philemon, you owe me your very self. Verse 20 says, I do not wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in, of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. <laughs> I'm coming over. I'm sending Onesimus and I'm going to come by myself, see how things are going with you guys. Oh, man. And we see that Paul is dealing with things in a very practical way. And he's open in the understanding, not only to these two individuals, but as we get to kind of observe this little letter that is being written, we see so much that is taking place in how God deals with the problems of society that take place between people. He makes them brothers. He makes them family. He changes the heart that then changes the circumstances. And so now you can imagine when Onesimus comes back. You went out as my slave. You come back as my brother. And the church that meets now in my home, you're part of that church. What would have happened if Onesimus would have stayed? Maybe he could have found Christ in the church that is his home. Perhaps he could. Perhaps not. Perhaps. But God was at work. And you leave it there. Verse 21 or 22 says, And one thing more. Oh, verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings. And so do Mark. Aristocrus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A small little postcard sent to this man Philemon from Paul. We get to 
to look at it, and in it we see the richness of God's mercy, how God takes relationships that are strained and brings them into harmony. I think of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. And what Paul is doing here is making peace. He's making peace. How does he make peace? He, he doesn't keep the peace. Hey, Philemon, when Onesimus comes, I just want you to treat him nice. Don't get on his case about him leaving. Just let that go. Okay, just keep the peace. Okay, Philemon? No, he doesn't keep the peace. He makes peace. He changes things. Onesimus, I, I just want you to keep the peace. When you go back, you know, I just want you to to settle down, not to wait. No, he makes peace. Onesimus, you have to go back. You have an obligation and a responsibility. It is the right thing to do. Remember when we talked in Romans 13 where Paul talks about obeying the, the land, the, the laws of the land, paying our taxes, paying back what is owed to us. And we wonder, why is that so important to God? Because that shows our character. If you're abusing and misusing people and you say you're a Christian, it gives Christ a bad name. Onesimus, you have to go back. You have to give Christ a good name. Go back. It is the right thing for you to do. And so many times the right thing is also the hard thing to do. Sometimes the hard thing is the right thing to go back and to make peace, to say, I'm sorry, to say I was wrong, to back off and stop doing what you should not be doing, to start doing what you should be doing. It's the right thing to do. It is what brings honor to Christ. And so Paul tells Onesimus, you've got to go back. That's the right thing for you to do. Make peace. Make things right between you and Philemon. Philemon, I'm sending you your brother. He's my brother. He's beneficial. It's my heart that I'm sending to you in this person. Receive him as you would me, and I'll be with you shortly. And we greet you. And doesn't this just change everything if we conducted ourselves in this way? Wouldn't it just change everything? If we really saw each other as brothers, as sisters, desiring the benefit for each other. Now, let's face it, Onesimus had to go back. Sometimes the beneficial thing isn't the easiest thing. Sometimes you have to tell your brother, you need to go back. You need to stop that. You need to make this right. Sometimes being a brother has to do with correction. And so we see that the right thing to do was to go back. The right thing to do was receive him as a brother. It brings about a beautiful reconciliation because now you are on the same plateau as far as Christ is concerned, your brothers. And it changes how you deal with each other here and now because of you know that you belong to Christ, which is that eternal state, which is how we need to keep our minds and our understanding. In this, can you guys see how it might affect and change our relationships with one another, with the people we work with, the people you have interaction with on a regular basis? Can you see how it can affect those kinds of things? 
hopefully you can. I think that was my whole purpose anyway. Well, let, let's pray. Father, I do thank you again for your heart that is seen in Paul in this letter. And I pray that this would be constructive for us, Lord, in how we deal with one another. Lord, that you would give us the ability to take from this, Lord, things that will be helpful and apply them to our lives. And we do thank you again for your love, your faithfulness, your patience with us, Lord. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name.